Welcome to Reviving the Fire. I'm Jeff. This is the show where I give relevant messages about faith from the Word of God so that you can navigate through all the twists and turns that this crazy life brings. And it's also where we discover together how to keep your fire for Jesus burning bright. All right, let's do this. Hey everyone, it's uh, Reviving the Fire with Jeff Saxton, and so glad to talk with you again for another day. I hope you're enjoying your day today. There's just been a lot of talk about deconstructing a person's faith. Now, you may have heard other people say this, you, you know, there's even articles out there, certainly on Facebook, social media, and even, um, even in the media on, you know, television, we hear this being said more and more that people are deconstructing their faith, and it sounds so avant-garde, it sounds so hip, it sounds so kind of current, you know, to go and, I'm going to deconstruct my faith. And uh, so we're going to talk about what that means in today's podcast, and if that sounds interesting, then hold on and let's do this together. Now, there are a lot of things that people could mean when they say this, and I'm not going to read too much into it. I just think it's good to see what the Bible has to say about really everything. And uh, this actually is a, a really good topic. And if you're considering today deconstructing your faith, um, I'm not even going to say that's a negative thing. That may be very, very uh, important. Now, uh, the first thing we have to decide is nothing needs to be deconstructed if it's wrong. I mean, if it's not wrong. You know, if you have something that you have built and it just isn't complete, sometimes people feel like, is this all there is to it? Now, of course, you know, I'm, I'm really need, need to refer to, and I think we need to refer to the the biblical content, the, the biblical teaching on what our faith really is. As, as Christians, as believers, really what it means that John 3, 3, uh, Jesus was very plain to, to Nicodemus, who was a teacher and a Pharisee of the Jewish religion. He was not a newbie. He should have been a very knowledgeable minister. And, but he doesn't even know what being born again meant. Now, of course, I don't think any Pharisee did because nobody really ever answered that question well. And um, I'm sure Jesus asked it more than the times that we can, we have it in the word. But here we have it in John 3. So Nicodemus was very impressed by what Jesus was saying, you know, earlier as Jesus was ministering. And so he came to him. And kind of in a private way, so that he wouldn't get in trouble. And he said, hey, I want to hear more about this, uh, the life that I can have in you, you know. And Jesus used a lot of different ways to say the same thing. And so sometimes people will say, well, I don't find that word in the, in the, in the Bible, you know, or, or, or it's not found very often, like born again, you know. Now, born again, the word uh, may only be found in John 3, 3, but the idea or the concept or the teaching Jesus teaches it actually many different ways, teaching the same thing in, in a lot of different ways. Now, I'm not talking about that today, but uh, that would be a great topic for another time together, is all of the different ways that Jesus has, Jesus taught the same things. But he certainly taught that we had to be done with our old life, let go of everything, and follow him, right? He taught that we need to die 
to the things we want and live for him. He taught that we needed to set, set aside everything that pertains to the old life we want if we want to have a new life with him. And he also taught that we have to look at our faith as that precious gem that we find and we go and take all the money out of the bank that we've got, all of it, and we, we literally sell everything and we buy that gem. And then we go into a field and bury it. Now, you, there's more. I'm, I'm, there's a couple of parables that go together there. But the idea is very, very much throughout Jesus' teaching. So sometimes people, their faith has never been constructed on the right thing to begin with. You know, and for example, many, many churches, many denominations, maybe most, the one I grew up, certainly, they teach that, hey, you know, that's for the eager beavers. That's for the crazy people. You don't need to go all out and be crazy. Just, you know, Jesus doesn't ask for that. He's got grace. He's got mercy. He's not asking for everything. He just he just wants you to know that he loves you and you're forgiven and stop worrying. And that that's what my church taught. And, you know, although there are verses in the Bible, of course, that <clears throat> teach that it is by faith, um, by faith and that uh, it's not of works and that... God has grace and that we don't have to be perfect. But at the same time, more than one thing can be true. And in this case, that's the case. And that is that, yes, that's true, but it's also true that there is a cost and there is something very high Jesus asks of us. And in fact, it is, like I said, that you be born again, that you, that you give up your old way of life, that you follow him. Uh, literally at the time he would actually compel people to physically follow him, right? I mean, he would, um, and sometimes he would make things so strong that it would offend the crowd and they would turn away and say, well, who can who can do this? So we have both things going on, not just one. And um, I think John 3, 3, and the whole, really, John's third chapter of his gospel is the best way to bring it all together into one one chapter, one statement, one teaching to Nicodemus here, one conversation where, he, you know, Nicodemus, upon hearing this, I've got to be born again. Well, who could do that? Who can go back into their mother's womb a second time? And then Jesus doesn't say, hey, I, I'm only kidding. You don't have to do that. He's, I'm not, he, didn't, he didn't even back off. He just said, well, actually, this is impossible with man. You can't even do it. <laughs> So as much as Nicodemus was looking for uh, a little grace or a little wiggle room, Jesus even took a little bit away when he said, well, you can't even do it. It's not even possible. But with God, all things are possible. And the rest of that chapter, he talks about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him, that key, key phrase, believe in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. So we've got a teaching here of how to construct our faith, how our faith is constructed. Now, Christ is the one actually that that does the work in us even. That's why another advantage of being born again is Christ is in you. You've heard that statement. I don't have time to go into the other content in the New Testament that talks about Christ in you, but there's a dozen or more different uh, obvious teachings from Paul on this reality that it's Christ in you that is doing the work. So that's what's cool is Christ comes and takes up residence inside of you and me and begins to construct our buildings for us. And really, you know, that's how you can look at 
your faith. And even how we say this, you know, this is my faith. We have to be really careful. Um, I've been around people that talk about their faith and, and you just get, you get the feeling that they're talking about their favorite pet or something, you know. Oh, this is my faith. Whoa, pretty faith. Such a nice faith. Nice little faith. I did a sketch once at a church with several actors, and it was called My Pretty Faith. And it was just people showing one another their, you know, it's like showing them, you know, a pet rock. Have you heard of these? Uh, Maybe I'm dating myself. We don't do this anymore. But can you believe that back in my day, in the 90s, 80s, we actually had pet rocks? Yeah, you'd, you'd literally pay money for these. You didn't just, you could get them for free, but, you know, usually people would buy them. And you got a little, it's a pet, rock. But sometimes we treat the our faith in Christ like a pet rock or a pet bird or even a dog or cat. I mean, it's like, oh, nice, this is my faith. And I, I let it out once in a while and I show it to people and I put it back in its place when it's done. And I make sure that I'm, and it's kind of like, that's how we treat the Lord, it's like we are in control. He's not. We are the master. He's the he's the you know the the servant, and got it all backwards. So it's 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 just really important that we get this thing set up right. But let me just talk about four things of uh, why we need to construct our faith properly, so that it's not uh, there's no deconstruction needed. A statement I'll make right now before we go much further is. And I posted this on uh, Facebook earlier today. That is that sometimes we try to deconstruct a faith that was never built correctly to begin with. It was never constructed properly in the first place. You know, a lot of people actually, I think, are trying to deconstruct a faith that was never constructed on the Word of God. It was never constructed right. In fact, it may never have been constructed at all. You know, it was just a pet faith in their mind or a hobby they did once in a while or something like this. And, um, and you know, you're not always going to get the truth that I'm sharing with you today in every single religious building. So we've got to be careful about what it is we even think we're, we're constructing. Um, I do appreciate, however, this generation's desire for more. You know, they're not content. They're not happy with whatever it is they have. They see what others are doing, and they're just, there's got to be more. And I love that. I believe God's put that in their hearts, and I think that's also a good thing in the whole conversation about deconstructing your faith. So I really encourage us not to, you know, make fun of people or attack them when they say, I'm deconstructing my faith. we got to listen because everybody means something different when they say that, right? Um, but we really got to try to help them you know, walk through this whole thing because they very, they may, they may need some major deconstruction, you know, and, um, you think about people that grow up like in even, even in a cult or a, a religion that's, you know, obviously a wrong religion and they've, they've learned all these untruths. Um, it's so much harder to teach someone about God when they've been taught all the wrong things than someone that hasn't been told anything, right? So like you meet somebody and they've got, you know, 15 things they've been taught wrong. You've literally got to get them to 
let go of all of those things and get them to zero before you can even begin to build properly, whereas person B, who hasn't been taught nothing about God, you know, really, really they're much further along. So there is deconstruction that needs to happen. And sometimes people are, they are deconstructing, they say, but actually what they're doing is constructing a bunch of wrong things on wrong foundations that are going to crumble and fall. And even though they probably do need deconstructing, what, what they're doing is, is not helping them. In, in fact, maybe they're part of the problem. And the more they say they're deconstructing, they're actually just making things worse and building more crazy things off in left field. All right, let's talk about these four ideas here of things we need to consider when we deconstruct our faith. Number one, we got to ask the question, did you count the cost when you started constructing your faith? Did you count the cost? You know, Luke 14, 28, Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Now, I never really did want to build a tower, I have to admit. But I've wanted to build houses before. I think I've even daydreamed about building big buildings uh, before when I was younger. But either way, um, are you counting the cost? Are you looking at the total that you're really going to need here? It says, Jesus says more here in Luke 14, 29 and 30. If you lay a foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it's going to ridicule you, saying, hey, this person began to build, and they weren't able to finish it. And you don't want that. There's a funny story in uh, in Russia. You probably heard of Joseph Stalin. He's a He was the emperor, emperor, the ruler of Russia during the time of World War II. And because he was against Germany... The U.S. kind of had to make the Russian Russian people allies. And um, really, that was a blessing from God because we needed every, all the help we could get at that time to defeat Nazi Germany. And uh, But, of course, there were a lot of uh, unusual things and unhealthy things and bad things going on in Russia. Um, and Stalin was a very interesting guy, but... There was a uh, building that he built, or ho- tried to build, and he he hoped that this building was going to just be like a skyscraper with multiple period. I'm sorry, multiple pyramids on top of it. It'd be the size of the tallest building in the world, and at the very top would be a huge statue of Lenin on the top of it. And this building, when you see the the blueprint, it's just massive. It's probably the most massive blueprint of any building you'd ever seen. But of course, the problem is World War II happened, and they ran out of money, and this thing was—I don't even know if they started it. To be honest, maybe it was just—maybe they did actually lay down a few bricks here and there. But see, there Joseph didn't know World War II was going to come, and secondly, he had no idea how much this was really going to cost. This building still sits to this day, and it is known to be kind of Stalin's folly, and. You know, he didn't really count the cost um, and or went through a time that he didn't uh, see ahead of time where he's going to lose financial ability to build it. So that's the first thing we have to ask, you know, and that that's just uh, a building. But in your life, in your in your faith, in your faith in Christ, 
you know, he, Jesus lays out, he's very honest. He lays out, hey, this is not going to be free. There are things that could happen to you. You know, following me is not going to be easy all the time. You know, walking in the spirit is going to cost you. It's going to cost you your flesh's desires. It's going to cost you temptation. It's going to cost you many other costs that, that you can find all through the, the Bible and the New Testament. And you just, you have to ask, like me, are you going to count the cost? It may not be something you're willing to pay. Count the cost now so that nobody can look at you and go, hey, you told everyone you're going to do this and you didn't do it. Secondly, in deconstructing your faith, we've got to ask, did you build on a solid foundation? In Matthew 7, 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock and a foolish man who builds his house on sand. And of course, the one who built his house on the rock was the one who actually did the words that Jesus taught. But the man who built his house on sand was the foolish builder. And the problem is that guy heard his words, but he didn't put them into practice. And this story very clear. It's not hearing the word of God that does you any good. It's are you putting it into practice? We can all think, oh, I go to church and I'm hearing the word every Sunday. And that therefore, that's I'm on a good foundation. No, it's are you putting it into practice? Because if you're not, it really isn't doing you any good. Now, I have to admit, this was me when I was younger. When I was in grade school and even into uh, beginning of high school. Really all through high school, I had a lot of the Bible in my mind. I got, my mother was a Christian. My grandmother was a Christian. Well, my father was too. But, um, you know, I was given a, a Bible. I was given a lot of things, but, but I never wanted to read the Bible. I didn't understand why they would want to, quote, serve God. I just didn't get it. Um, you know, I, but I had the knowledge. I was taught things. I remembered a lot. And eventually it came to fruit thank God, uh, a year or so, a year or so after that. But that's only because then finally I did put into practice. But for 18 years, I did, I was here and not a doer. And by the time I was, uh, out of high school, actually the Lord told me while I was drunk, God spoke to me. Yeah. If you don't think God can speak to people when they're drunk, uh, he did me basically just said, Hey, you're headed for destruction, Jeff. You're, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. you got to change right now. Yeah. So we've got some things we need to do to help people. So now we want to talk about the third step, the third way that we can deconstruct our faith, and that is ask this question, did you build on, did you build his house or did you build your house? You know, was this your thing or God's thing? Was this your plans or his plans? Was this you letting the Lord build your life, your project, your marriage, your business, your ministry, your whatever it is? Because here it says in Psalms 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. What does that mean? That means that God's telling us that he wants to be involved with everything that people do. Uh, and, you know, when, when we don't allow the Lord to build all, all the areas of our lives, you know, we got to stand before him and give an account. And he's going to ask us, why did you not let me build your house or build your thing or build your family or build your future or build A, B, C, D, E? Probably will, will be shown 
a, a movie strip of what our life could look like and then what it will look like. And hopefully you and I will have something to show for it. But right now you can really do yourself a favor and do the Lord a favor and say, Lord, I want you to build my house. I don't want to build it myself. I don't want to labor in vain. I want I want something to be built that lasts forever and that's has meaning and uh, you know rewards not only for yourself for eternal rewards, but also where others will benefit eternally. Um, that is always a big motivator to me. Uh, and one of the reasons I do what I do now, because I decided a long time ago that I want to do what God wants me to do and not what I what Jeff Saxon wants. And it, I wasn't always that way. Um, God had to do some work in me to change my motives, desires, all that. But it really helps when you give up your own life and start to just follow Jesus and do whatever he says to do. And It's interesting how he will begin to build your house for you. You know, he'll begin to get you, he'll get you the right person to marry. He'll bring you to the right job. He'll have you live in the place that, now it's not always the ideal, but sometimes it is just more than ideal. It's a beyond, it's a blessing so great. He wants to bless us and bless our socks off, as they say. But he also will have times where he wants to bring us through a trial to teach us some things. And that's also important. There is a, that's a one concept in construction, as you probably know. If you have a building, actually, or a home, and you never test your foundation or never go through any tests with the, the construction uh, materials, then when you have a storm or have a winds or have rain, you have no idea what's going to happen. And it's too late to find out if you got it built on a solid foundation or not. So, but here we're just asking, did, you know, if God didn't build it, then you shouldn't even have it here. You shouldn't even be here. <laughs> so do you and I follow the leading of Jesus? Do you and I follow God's plans for our life um the fourth question as we start to kind of get ready to f- finish up here on this topic but did you build it for all the wrong reasons did you know that the there are motives there are god's look at god looks at the heart he sees what the reason why we're doing what we do is really important after all think about a good friend or or even a lover or a spouse or your favorite sibling, or even um, your daughter or son, we don't want the people we love to do nice things to us for wrong reasons, right? That that annoys us, right? That makes us go, gee, are you kind of acting like you love me and you really don't? And God is the same way as you and I, so he doesn't want us to do this for all the wrong reasons, so we have to look at our, our motives and see what's driving us. And the, the fact is God sees it, so... But Matthew 7.33, he says, I will tell them plainly, uh, I will. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So there are people that we will see at the end of uh, this life and in, in eternity in heaven at the judgment. And Jesus is going to say, hey, yeah, you did all these great things for me, but I never even knew you. And then he's going to say to people that, that think that they loved him and served him and, and were ministers maybe even spirit-filled ministers and he's going to say i never knew you not hey i didn't know you like i wanted to it doesn't say that it says i never knew you 
Away from me, you evildoers. You know, the Pharisees, they Jesus got in fights with them in, in almost every chapter in the Gospels. And one of the reasons, I think, is because uh, everything that Pharisees do, Jesus said, is they do for other men to see them. So their motives were completely for the wrong reasons. They And they didn't know any better, you know. And so when Jesus is out there telling them this is wrong, I mean, they wanted to kill him. And they wanted to get rid of Jesus because he was telling the truth. And they didn't want other people to hear that because it's embarrassing. Also, you know, we hate to have someone else confront us about something that that has overtaken our lives and we don't know how to get out of it. And we don't even know that there's a way out. And some Pharisees, I think, were more panicking like Nicodemus. And they just wanted to talk to him alone and say, hey, what do I do to get out of this? mode that I'm in and you're here talking about doing it this way or, or you know doing loving God for just because we love him I mean that's that's something we tell everybody but nobody actually does that do they of course they of course they should but do you do what you do for all the wrong reasons do you are you trying to build this building your faith for all of the wrong reasons do you have a are your motives completely messed up if so it's not going to last. And so these are four questions to ask that if uh, any of them are valid in your experience, then yeah, I think you've got to deconstruct your faith in those areas. And once you've de- deconstructed, whatever that means to you, to me, I feel like you could tra- probably knock this all down in about 20 minutes, <laughs> you know, one long prayer session with the Lord. But, you know, some of us might have some spiritual attachments, some other attachments, soul attachments, and we may have to go through a season of being broken down, uh, not broken, not our will, not our identity being broken down, but I'm talking about, you know, God will sometimes uh, break an addiction that we can't let go of or break a attachment that we're just absolutely cannot do on our own. Sometimes God will help us deconstruct. God knows how to deconstruct perfectly your faith if it needs any deconstructing. Now, keep in mind, this is not the way it's supposed to be. The way it's supposed to be is you're supposed to be able to come to the Lord, find out about Christ, learn for the first time about the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and I, died for your sin, and then for you to give him your life and to experience an amazing transformation on the inside out and to suddenly have Christ living inside of you and have this new hope, this new peace, this new love, this new joy, it's called the fruit of the Spirit, but you can't fake that. We can actually fake gifts of the Spirit. We can actually even fake miracles at times. Not really fake them, but we can... Sometimes the Holy Spirit will actually use someone who... We talked about these people a minute ago, the, the people that did all these miracles, and then Jesus told them, hey, I, I never knew you. So we can do all this stuff, and it's a dangerous thing. So it's almost better not to have any of that and to just start out on the right... in the right way from square one where no deconstruction is needed. Now, there are times where the Lord looks at us and he goes, you know, I would pass you by and go find someone else who's really doesn't have all this baggage that you have, but you know what? Here's my blueprint. Take a look at this blueprint. And he shows us this beautiful house and he goes, you know, if you trust me, even though it's going to be painful and it will cost you, We're going to have to tear some things down here, but when we rebuild, it's going to be amazing. 
when we rebuild and do this right, it's going to be amazing. I would really encourage you, if you ever have to do this, to not construct or reconstruct your faith alone. Be part of a church. Be part of a growing church. Be part of a Bible-believing church. Have pastors and prayer people uh, praying for you. Um, go to be part of a small group. Learn the Word in Sunday school if you have any, or anytime they're teaching the Bible. And uh, just do as much as you possibly can to allow the Lord to construct your faith properly. And you will never have to worry about deconstruction jobs that just totally go wrong. Well, that is about all the time we have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for the next edition of Reviving the Fire with Jeff Saxton.